I'm Aaron Schlein, and I'm here to help you turn your love of travel into a thriving business and a dream life. This is Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. Yo-ho, my friend, Aaron Schlein here, and you have landed on episode number 20 of Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. There's no doubt that podcasting has changed my life, and I can help it change yours too. Just head over to DramaticPodcasting.com, read my story, enroll in my free podcasting mini course that will help you get your journey started the right way. Unleash the power of your voice, take action, and head over to DramaticPodcasting.com. Notes for this episode are at DramaticTravels.com slash e- 20. My guest today is a leading expert in influencer marketing. He is calling us today from New York, New York. His name is Brendan Gann. Brendan, thanks for joining us. Are you ready to go places today? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Brendan is the founder of Epic Signal, and he works with Fortune 500 brands on their YouTube influencer and community building campaigns. Brendan is on the advisory board for VidCon, the largest YouTube gathering. He was named Forbes' 30 under 30 in marketing and advertising and was invited to the White House as one of the nation's youth leaders to advise on how to get the word out about the Affordable Care Act. Brendan, my man, that is a heck of a bio. Can you just expand on that and just take us inside your world before we start talking business? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, One quick like... uh asterisk, I guess, just to expand on that bio. Um, Working on the Affordable Care Act was obviously during the uh, Obama (laughs) administration. Um, But uh, yeah, I got into um, influencer marketing really early on. Um, Basically, right out of college, I got an internship in advertising. I was really fortunate. And it was right at this time where Social media was really starting to become a thing and more or less being, you know, one of the young guys in the office, people inevitably were always asking me questions, you know, hey, what's the deal with this MySpace thing? What's the deal with Facebook? What's the deal with YouTube? And so I got to kind of establish myself as kind of knowing about these things just because when you're in college, you know, you're one of the younger people. This stuff is just around you versus everyone else who was kind of being exposed to it secondhand, more or less. And uh, so I just started pitching a lot of fun, digital, social ideas. And um, in 2006, did a big influencer marketing campaign with um, some big YouTubers, uh, Smosh. They've got a massive channel that have gone on to be huge. And just parlayed that into a lot of other activations within the space, kind of leveraged that as a stepping stone to then hey, let's try viral video stuff. Let's try expanding and working with multiple influencers and um, you know, continue to get a lot of success. And um, because I was early on the sp- in, the, in that space, made a lot of great relationships as everybody else was kind of getting started. The community was much smaller and um, continued to kind of expand and learn. And back then, not many people were doing it. Now it's, it's kind of big business. Well, absolutely. And just the act of being an influencer can be a job title in and of itself. You see it all the time. And my wife watches The Bachelor and The Bachelorette religiously, and you see these people pop up with their their job title as influencer. And you kind of <laughs> chuckle at it, but it's super real, and you're living proof of that. So real quick, you just take a minute and maybe back up and just to the kind of the, the origins of the social media influencer as we know it today. 
Yeah, totally. I think that's a great question. I mean, I think it's it's interesting because it's gone through several different iterations. Probably the first round was, um, you know, bloggers, and then um, and that was around. There were a lot of you know, there were tech bloggers and lifestyle bloggers and so on. And then as as all these social platforms got traction, um, I think they really kind of made it a little. The barrier to entry became much easier. And suddenly you had a lot of people creating a lot of content, building up massive um, subscriber bases. And there were very clear kind of vanity metrics assigned to personalities. So, you know, YouTube, you've got your subscriber button back in the day. Um, MySpace, you had your friend count. Um, you know, Twitter, it was your followers. And so I think that really helped kind of lure advertisers in to a certain extent because then they could say, hey, this guy has x number of followers and people that we can reach and help position a lot of these folks as media outlets in and of themselves and you know probably until you know around 2005 2006 2007 it, it was really like oftentimes you'd go into a room and try and explain this stuff and people are like wait what like somebody's following people on youtube like i don't get it at all um, and it was maybe around 2010 that it really seemed to start to gain traction as like a little bit more credible, a little bit more of a business. I think um, uh, events like VidCon probably really helped. Um, there was the rise of YouTube multi-channel networks, essentially ad networks comprised of YouTube channels. And um, so that really, I think, helped the ecosystem from a credibility standpoint. There were a lot of salespeople going around to ad agencies, basically doing a lot of education because there were businesses built upon this idea of we've got to sell ads against these YouTube channels. And I think that did a lot for it. And then I don't know when it was in the, you know, probably around that same time, Instagram obviously came into play. And um, that's really been huge for influencer marketing, especially the last maybe year and a half, two years. I think that's considered to be just such a hot platform, at least in the, on the advertising side of things. Everybody's, um, the barrier to entry is so low. It's something, uh, it's a behavior that a lot of uh, older consumers have still developed. You know, they'll, uh, they'll follow people on Instagram, whereas they may not necessarily do that on a lot of the other platforms. And so it's really started to turn into a big business um, in these last couple of years. Well, at what point along your journey did you kind of learn about yourself, learn that you had sort of had your finger on the pulse of this emerging, emerging way to, to of target marketing using influencers? What, at what point did you realize that you had a knack for that? Yeah. Um, well, so I, I got this internship in advertising and I was an intern for this guy, Jason Harris, who is now um, a president and CEO of Mechanism. And um, he was basically really early on pitching like, you know, we're going to pitch branded content and viral videos. And he was showing me this stuff like viral videos, you know, back in like 2005, 2006. And I was like, this is just stuff I like to watch. I was like, people will pay you. Brands will pay you to make this stuff. And I, I instantly got it. We clicked. And from there, it wasn't much long after that I just I just start pitching these ideas all the time. And it, it was not my position at all. I was, I was an account manager. I had, really had no business pitching um, ideas, but I did it. And, and luckily, you know, we were at a small agency. Everyone was really open and, and collaborative. And I, I definitely um, in, 
I'm incredibly grateful for that. And they, um, you know, they took a chance on um, one of my ideas. Basically, we had this really small client come in. They didn't have a big budget. We were going to turn them down. And I was like, hey, like, why don't we uh, why don't we take the small budget that we've got? Uh, go to these guys who are crushing it on YouTube and be, you know collaborate with them on like a, a piece of branded content. And this was you know early 2006 or so. And you know my bosses were like, sure, if you convince them to to do it, like let's go for it. And um, it it hit. You know, it got millions and millions of views. And pretty much from there, like I had just a little bit of credibility, and I just was like, I want to do this again. It was such an adrenaline rush, and we did it. Um, I later, um, you know, joined Jason. He had left that ad agency. I joined him at Mechanism, um, probably about a year after he'd left, and he hired me. And um, Mechanism was really forward thinking, particularly for the time, and was doing a lot of early branded content and viral video stuff. So I basically had this great sandbox where, like, they're making great stuff and they're like just do whatever you think is right to get the word out around this and so i was trying everything you know messing around with like early influencer marketing building relationships with you know bloggers going to a lot of these early events and meetups and um you know i was fortunate the content that they created was so good um and that it was a pretty easy sell most of the time and just kind of had a string of hits and got to experiment a, a lot. Um, but I, I was lucky, basically, long story short, right out of the gates in 2006, I think it was, um, had a big hit and, and, and just ran with it from there. So you really established yourself as, as the authority on influencer marketing, at least as it was known then within your niche, it's kind of the, the principles of influencer marketing working within within your company and then you grew your, your authority and influence again to continue just again, just putting those string of hits together and really making a name for yourself. Does that sound like a accurate description? Yeah. And, and for the most part, it was very much just internally kind of that recognition um, beyond kind of our office. It, it wasn't really something that was, I think, you know, there, there wasn't that big of a community. It wasn't that glorious. It wasn't something that a lot of the ad trades necessarily picked up on a lot. And and I definitely had points where I'm like, I constantly feel like people like look at me weird in meetings when I'm pitching this stuff. Do I do I have like a am I going to have a career in a couple of years? Am I going to be able to grow? And I was really fortunate that you know it didn't just kind of die out. That I was able to kind of ride this wave and it, and it only grew and, and those connections that I made early on really uh, have continued to help me out along the way. Yeah. And that's such a unique opportunity to, sounds like you really got to help write the narrative of influencer marketing as you're sort of bringing the others in your industry along with you sort of, sort of bit by bit. You had the vision in your head, you knew where you were going, but it was, you had part of your job was to convince those around you to come with you on this journey. What was that like? You know, just bringing people along who weren't necessarily prepared to to engage in influencer marketing. Yeah, it, it was hard, and even as big as it is now, it's still often really hard. Um, but yeah, back then, no doubt about it. Like it, it, it was a struggle, and you know, a lot of people just didn't get it. Like 
now you can say influencers or digital influencers and people know what you're talking about. And back then even it was like we were constantly testing out like different terminology and just kind of making it up as we went along. We're like, well, maybe this is a good way to talk about it. We, you know, we called it stuff like syndication or, you know, whatever. <laughs> like we went through so many weird terms and um, just to see like, well, maybe we're not explaining it right. You know, it, it was super frustrating. I'm, I was really lucky that like the immediate, you know, community around me in that office that I was in and, and the folks at Mechanism were totally on the same page, at least conceptually that like, hey, digital and social and, and in particular branded content within that and dealing with communities, working collaboratively with individuals that have followings is, is kind of the way things are going to go. Um, so even if I was ever, you know, totally frustrated by, you know, being shot down a million times, um, it was awesome to kind of come back into the fold and, and, you know, the people around me being really supportive and stuff. But yeah, it, it was tough. And it is as hyped up as it is. It's still really hard sometimes. Well, that's really a truly fascinating stuff. And I just hearing not just learning about influencer marketing, but hearing your story being back, you know, we're going back over 10 years now and just hearing the history of it. And it's, it really is fascinating stuff. And it just shows the opportunities that, you know, existed for you in 2006, but also going forward, you know, if you've got that forward thinking mentality, if you can see a future, even if the folks around you can't see it yet, if you have that persistence and that drive and that ability to communicate and bring people along, you know, you can do incredible, incredible things in this life. So, Brendan, you and I connected because you are going to be one of the featured speakers at TravelCon, which is a conference for folks to learn skills that they need to develop a profitable and sustainable career in the travel industry. And you're going to be speaking on influencer marketing. So tell us, what do travel folks, especially those creating personal brands around travel, how can influencer marketing help their business? Well, uh, influencer marketing, I mean, getting brands to fund you is certainly you know one path to generate revenue in this space. And, and so I think that's really uh, the opportunity. And I think where I'm probably going to try and add value is essentially helping, um, you know, a lot of these folks getting started understand how to position themselves in the marketplace so that um, they can kind of stand out as they're dealing with brands because it is getting saturated. There are a lot of people out there but that doesn't mean you can't, you know, work with brands and get brand deals. And you don't have to be the biggest, you know, creator out there. I think that's a common misconception, um, you know, that like, oh, I've got to be, you know, number one or, or I, I don't matter. I think it's really about differentiating yourself in terms of uh, kind of building up those relationships at first. Like there are a couple of key things that I'll share on on my end having worked i I'm not, i don't even know how many you know deals i've done with the influencers over the years but like it it is very very rare that uh influencers ever email me and introduce themselves it's also very rare that they ever reach out and have like stats handy or like any kind of a media kit or like an overview of kind of like um hey this is this is my audience and this is type of things you know, that's a, that would be a good fit for them and why it'd be a good fit for, you know, the brands you work on. Um, so that little bit of like upfront work can really go a long way because at the end of the day, you know, if I'm working with brand, with a brand, I'm trying to solve their problems and I've got so much stuff that I've got to go through 
and, and deal with. And if somebody reaches out to me and they're like, hey, this is a problem I can solve for you, and they seem put together and organized, like, yeah, like, I, I want to get that stuff off my plate. And so uh, really a lot of it comes down to being prepared, being organized, and, and you know, that relationship building. So let's get tactical for, for just a second. Say someone who's just starting out, because I've, I've been interviewing a lot of folks who are actually attending TravelCon and mm. just kind of getting to know their pain points. And there are a lot of them, quite a few of them who are, are at the very, very beginning of their journey. Yeah. Some who haven't even, you know, they're just in the idea phase. But say someone were to come to you and say, hey, Brendan, you know, I'd like to get into this influencer marketing space at some point. I'm not there yet because I haven't even started. But what are some, some steps I can take right now to, to put the building blocks in place to one day get to that point where I can start monetizing my brand through influencer marketing? Well, obviously, to a certain extent, there's a barrier to entry, and that is like actually building an audience and, and adding value. And that's a whole challenge in and of itself. And I'm sure you, know, you can speak to that much better than I can and and you know folks like Matt as well but in my eyes that's that's you know first and foremost you know building a community really adding value and having something actually that's different and unique to say travel is a massive category but there are a million of subcategories what's the niche that hasn't been kind of just fully tapped and, and how can you provide a unique perspective that's not already kind of played out. Um, so that's first and foremost. But then if, if you want to work with brands, you kind of need to put your brand hat on and recognize the fact that your you know, brands, they, um, they're dealing with a lot and like you might have the biggest audience, but if you're out there like, cursing like a sailor and that's kind of like your brand odds are they don't want to be associated with it because it's just it's just going to be a big headache for them so if you want to work with brands i think you really need to establish some kind of internal guardrails for yourself like what are you okay with and not okay with how can i keep this clean how can i maybe you know make sure that like everything i do looks a certain level of, of you know has a certain level of presentation professionalism because brands want to be associated i mean most brands um certainly fortune 500 brands want to have a certain like premium aesthetic associated with them and if your site's sloppy your photos are sloppy layout doesn't look like there's any care put to it they certainly won't want to be aligned with that um so i think those elements are really important, thinking about like, how can I create this brand safe environment? Um, and then the other piece is really putting in the legwork to make their job a little bit easier. So like I said, like putting together media kits is certainly helpful and, and starting to back into like, uh, maybe start thinking about even before you've worked with a brand, how can you maybe build out a case study that you can take to a brand so you can tell a story of why your audience will actually activate? You know, maybe you can do something like, um, you know, document how you did meetups and fans came out. Um, anything that you can show is like supporting uh, examples will, will certainly go a long way. You're talking about having that clean public image for your brand made me think of something I did right when I started my podcast and my my website and my brand was uh, I I cruised back through my Facebook page because you know that thing goes back you know ten twelve years and <laughs> I got to be honest there were a couple photos that got deleted just 
nothing that was too horrifying, but you know what? The wrong eyes, you know, the wrong perception. It's like, if that's the difference between me getting paid and not getting paid, like I don't, that picture does not need to be on my Facebook page. So it's gone. And those are just little, well, sacrifices you can choose to make. You don't, you don't have to make those. You can choose to be the, the cursing sailor with the, the raunchy pictures on your Facebook, but just knowing that, you know, you might get passed over for a lot of work if that's the case. But if that's you, then by all means be yourself. Brendan, you've, you've mentioned metrics and numbers several times. So let's, can we dive in for a second to the metrics that matter when it comes sure. to influencer marketing? Yeah, it, that's a great question. The short answer is it's going to depend based on the brand, um, you know, and, and their specific goals. So uh, I mean, we'll do campaigns where the only thing they'll care about is Instagram. You know, we'll do other campaigns where the only thing they care about are video views and then others where, you know, they only care about driving sales. So it's really going to depend. But I think maybe a good thing to think about is somebody who's maybe trying to, to, to develop a brand and essentially become a media platform in and of themselves is is understand kind of what the differences are. Oftentimes, you know, brands are looking for impressions. So that's just straight up. What kind of traffic can you generate? Other other times, brands are are looking to do campaigns that are all about engagement. Um, you know, can you churn stuff out that has that is going to generate a lot of likes, comments, and shares? Other times, they'll want to do stuff that's more acquisition oriented, driving sales. So, you know, can you do you have a proven track record of you know driving sales and converting people? And so, those are you know very broadly kind of three big buckets to think about. I personally would focus on um, the latter too. You know, there are a lot of ways to generate scale and and get you know big numbers, particularly on websites. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there now trying to buy up you know followers and use bots and that kind of thing. You're going to top out at some point. That's that's really not a long term strategy. So I think really focusing on cultivating a community that's that's real, that's engaged, even if it's smaller. Um, while maybe you won't be this overnight hit is, is a much more sustainable route to go. So what's the, what are some, some kind of some tactical advice for, for building an audience? Let's focus on Instagram just to, yeah. just to have us just something specific to talk about. Cause Instagram's clearly huge right now. And there's a lot of, and the, the biggest influencers that you, and you said it perfectly, you know, that engagement it's, you know, the likes and especially the comments, you know, that, that those are huge. It's a huge uh, currency when it mm-hmm. comes to influencer marketing and, and there's plenty of money to be made. So if, if that's your goal to, to build, you know, genuine engaged audience numbers on Instagram, what are just one or two things that, you know, you just, you have to do? Yeah, totally. Well, I, I think broadly within social and, and this definitely applies to Instagram, I would think about a couple of things. One is if you're going to ask someone to follow you, where are you going to lead them? So really have that defined kind of path. Like if you're going to be the hot girl posting booty pics, like just do that. Like don't one day post your critique of some, 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 some book. Like you, you're going to give people a, a curveball there. Like um, you, you really want to have a defined kind of path for people to follow so that like, there is that payoff and you do cultivate that sense of community. And one thing I like to think about as you're structuring your social strategies is a thing called Hero Hub Help. Um, and it's something that we share with brands all the time. And I've noticed it being kind of a consistent theme in a lot of successful um, individual influencers. So 
hero content is kind of like your maybe it's like your big push you something you've invested a lot in it's a big announcement big production but you can only do so many of those not every single piece of social content can be your your hero piece maybe it's once every quarter or whatever um, but then you've got your hub content. This is your the stuff that you become known for. It's what engages your community. And I like to think of stuff like, you know, Workout Wednesday, Motivation Mondays. It's like those are really simplistic versions. But essentially, what is your format that you can do again and again and again? But the executions vary um, because it's oftentimes it's tough to think of new ideas, new ways of doing content. But if you have an established format, it really provides a lot of clarity um, and focus for you. Um, And then lastly is help, which is like essentially how to um, add value to people. Like what are people searching for, both in a combination of like real time as well as always on. So if like um, an always on example, maybe, you know, how do you respond to trending topics? What are trends that you do respond to what are trends you don't, and maybe put some thought into that in, in advance. So you're not just tracing, you know, kind of jumping onto the next trend, always chasing the next big thing. Um, but it also is good when you're thinking about kind of like what's the stuff people are searching for um, always, you know, and, and how can you add value to your community? Um, you know, how to videos, that kind of thing. Um, you know, just providing valuable information, basically. And and that framework, I think, really helps a lot in terms of that overarching content strategy. You, you touched on video. So how is how is live streaming video, Facebook Live, Instagram Live, YouTube Live, how is that changing the landscape? And what kind of advice would you have for someone who want, might want to dip into that? Yeah, I, I think um, it's interesting. All the platforms are really investing in it. Um, I think it's while um, I, I think it's I think it's a big opportunity. Um, I think it's still very early on. It's a bit of an arms race with Facebook Live, YouTube, um, Twitch, obviously, uh, Instagram, and so I think there's a big opportunity to really establish yourself there. Um, and it's it's still very early days, and and because it's so early, and all these platforms are competing. They're really prioritizing live content within the algorithm. So while you may do an organic post on Facebook, you know, and it's a photo and maybe 1% of your audience sees it, um, you know, you do a Facebook live video and probably, you know, 10, 20% of your audience will see it. So um, I think there's a huge, huge opportunity there. Currently with most of the brands we're working with, they're still a bit skittish um, because live, there's a lot of risk. Um, but in terms of building an audience, um, I, I think it's a big opportunity. Well, I love the risk, man. I'm not, I'm not afraid to go live. <laughs> I love it. I think it's just, it's just cool. And I don't, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but I think that's one of the things that sets me and people who think like me apart is just that willingness to be raw and just go out there, but you're hundred percent right. And, uh, when I started my blog and then my podcast, uh, just seeing how the different types of Facebook posts, I'm talking Facebook specifically, the the type of attention they would attract when I would do a live video, it would get, 
you know, you, you can see how many views you get and you can see who's commenting and liking. But then if I would post an external link, say to my latest podcast episode, or even a photograph, if it had, t- I think that they're able to scan the photographs to pick up text. Cause if I would post a, say something with yeah. words in it, it, like no one would see it. it. Or if I, but if I post a picture of my dog at the park, you know, hundred people would see it or, you know, hundred people would like it, whatever. It's like, why am I not getting a hundred likes on my external content? It's cause they're not seeing it. And that's yeah. really critical to know if, you know, if you're looking to get into that game. So I really appreciate your, you know, the insight, insight there. So Brendan, what are you working on right now, man? What's going on uh, with Epic Signal? What's, what's the future look like? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, we're, we're growing. We're focusing a lot, um, on, uh, you know, expanding and doing, uh, uh, essentially fewer, bigger, better. Like our business has, um, evolved quite a bit, um, you know, when I first started it, probably, gosh, five years ago or so, we were really focused solely on kind of the influencer marketing space and the digital video space, helping brands kind of develop YouTube content strategies and that kind of thing. And since then, we've gotten much broader. We're, we're essentially a full-service social agency, um, and uh, we're, we're owned by Mechanism now, that, that other agency that I referenced, which I had actually worked for um, several years back. Um, and, um, you know, we're really focused on, um, more AOR relationships. We've expanded and, and, um, are doing less project-based work because it's just much more sustainable business. You can develop closer relationships with clients and, um, we've grown, uh, considerably we've added, um, several offices. So now we've got New York and San Francisco, which, um, They've been around for, uh, gosh, uh, well, San Francisco is where Mechanism started. New York has been around maybe seven or eight years. Um, and just in the last two years, have opened up um, uh, Chicago and Seattle, maybe a little bit more. And, um, yeah, so we've been really focused on getting those um, offices, you know, really established and developing solid footprint. And then um, – uh, have been doing a lot of cool stuff internally about, uh, I think it was this past year, we had announced that we, um, an internal program called Mechanism Make Good, where we're basically dedicating, dedicating 10% of, um, you know, the agency's time to uh, cause marketing efforts. Um, so doing a lot in that. And then, um, yeah, beyond work, me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, I love traveling and almost always uh, off on the road for work or for fun or planning uh, to go somewhere next. Sweet, man. What's on your list? What's coming up? Besides Austin, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got Austin, actually. And right before that, I'm going, um, Matt and I and and a bunch of other buddies are going to a conference in Vail 212. Um, It's called, which is awesome. It's put on by Adam and Jordan Bornstein. And then I come back and then Labor Day weekend, uh, my girlfriend and I are actually going to Puerto Rico, which I've never been to before. I'm really excited about that. And then um, a wedding in Seattle and then a wedding in Northern California. And um, that's just probably the next six weeks. And I don't even know what's after that. How could you, man, with a schedule like that? Who can who can keep it straight? Puerto Rico, it just keeps coming up in in my life time after time. I've interviewed two uh, yesterday and today. I interviewed people who were in Puerto Rico, and then you're going to Puerto Rico. It's all Puerto uh, Rico now. Well, yeah, I think um, I mean I'm excited because I feel like there's this is probably a sweet spot 
in terms of like it's not uh, it they've more or less recovered at least from everything I'm hearing. And it, you know, a lot of people I think are still hesitant to go. And you know, I, I'd like to you know I, I think going is probably good for the economy and, and all that as well. But it seems like it would be great because it's not going to be probably jam packed. But what's what's the feedback you're hearing so far? Well, and the two people that I interviewed are people who actually live there. They're you know, U.S. citizens, you know, from the mainland who moved to Puerto Rico for business, for uh, business reasons, because there's some considerable, considerable tax advantages yeah. to uh, to taking an entrepreneurial venture down to Puerto Rico. So, like, just to answer your question, they live. There's no good way to say this. They live in the area that got fixed first, and ah. so that's you know the powers up. Their their lives are more or less back to normal. But from what I've heard, it really depends around depending on where you venture around the island. Some places are almost fully stood back up, and others are still in a struggle and will be for quite some time. So you'll probably depending on how much you move around, you'll probably see it all. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, hey, let's uh, let's wrap this up. I got one more question about influencer yeah. marketing that I feel like I've neglected, and we we talked about you know, advice for those who seek to be influencers. What about the travel brands who may seek to employ a travel influencer? What kind of tips and advice can you give for them? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, This is something that we've been talking to a lot of the brands we work with about. Um, So I think in general, there's there's a problem within the marketplace in the sense that uh, brands and and influencers will tend to do one-off activations. And that's a lot of work. It's like, all right, we're going to negotiate forever, get all the deal points signed. We're going to onboard you, educate you about this campaign, our brand. Then you're going to go off and do your activation. There's probably a bunch of subtleties you don't necessarily know. So there will be some rounds of feedback. Finally gets posted and then everybody goes their separate ways. That's like a ton of knowledge, investment, time, money. Um, that kind of, I think... Is, is wasted. And what we've really been talking to so many brands about is like doing ongoing partnerships, kind of like more celebrity endorsement style deals. And, um, and every step of the way, try and make it really high touch. So like I, I, we always break it down into three phases. So like the identification process, the onboarding process, and then the, the execution. And um, in the identification process, what we always like to do is rather than like just start throwing out names, really talk about, you know, those those KPIs. What are your goals? You know, is it a specific platform? Is it a specific demographic? Is it views? Is it sales? All those kind of nuances we talked about earlier. And then we'll go out and start researching you know, influencers that seem to be a good fit. And we'll take into account, you know, soft, you know, hard metrics as well as kind of more um, just like intangibles, like, oh, what's their quality work, this and that. And then we'll put together a big list, take it to the, the brands and have them kind of redline whoever they don't feel is a good fit. And then we just like to go out and have conversations with folks and be like, hey, this is something that might be on the horizon. What's your, you know, what are your thoughts? How, how? Is this a brand that resonates with you? Is this a program that resonates with you? You know, how much would something like this cost? What would you charge for it? And then, you know, we get to walk away with a sense of who's actually, who actually cares about this, who feels like their audience is going to care about this. And also, you know, how much are people going to charge? And then from there, we make judgment calls about who to onboard. Um, And then in the onboarding process, so there's, you know, um, oftentimes 
you know, what most brands do, they'll do um, maybe a, a briefing over the phone or over email. And I think that's a huge missed opportunity. We really like to create experiences um, and summits. And so if it's a travel brand, you know, fly them out, put them up, you know, whole nine yards, not just give them the experience, but also um, be there and educate them. A um, little bit of the candy with the medicine, educate and entertain, give them something exclusive. So they, they, they walk away really pumped. Um, but also it's not just like they know the bullet points from reading a brief, but they actually have had a conversation with the, the brand manager. They know it inside and out and they've experienced it. Um, and then um, in terms of the activation, rather than just doing a one-off, work on an ongoing basis. I mean, like we've done a few programs now that have been more like multi-year endorsement style contracts. And what's great about that is you can get category exclusivity. So you don't have to worry about an influencer going off and doing a deal with the competitor later on. Um, you get economies of scale. So like um, essentially, uh, you know, most creators, most influencers, they don't want to go bouncing around from you know deal to deal. And if you can basically say, hey, we're going to do a year's worth of work, um, you know, maybe you can get some, you know, some discounts there because it's steady work over the course of a year versus like, hey, this is a work for, you know, or this is a, a paycheck for one week and then they have to go out and try and scrounge up something else. Um, and then, too, I think probably one of the most important is their audience um, can really feel a sense of trust that like this is a brand that the creator stands behind because they have stuck with them for so long. Um, and then, you know, integrating the influencer into the media and all the different ad executions is always great and tends to perform really well. Um, and then once you work with someone for so long, you develop a shorthand, they know the brand inside and out. They're not always kind of asking a million questions. They become an extension of the marketing team. And so that, that's something that we've really been pushing um, our brands to do more and more of. It's, it's you know, it's difficult. Um, most of the market is still kind of doing those one-offs, but I think that's really the way to do um, influencer marketing, you know, the right way, more or less. Yeah, the way you describe it, I can't imagine as a brand why you'd want to do it any other way, but maybe you guys are... I've got an exceptional vision. And if you can execute that the way it sounds like you are, you got a bright, bright future, my friend. I really, really appreciate <laughs> you. Yeah, the value has been incredible here. I really appreciate you taking some time. We're talking to Brendan Gann from Epic Signal. You can check out Epic Signal at, guess what? EpicSignal.com. And Brendan, of course, on Twitter at Brendan Gann. That's B-R-E-N-D-A-N-G-A-H-A-N at Brendan Gann on Twitter and Instagram. Brendan, before we let you go, a couple real quick questions just about yourself. Who besides you has had the biggest impact on your business? Two people. One, uh, an uncle of mine. Um, he uh, he was actually, he was the one who gave me my first internship in, in advertising. I was really fortunate. I thought I was going to go to law school. I walked into that ad agency and uh, I was like, oh yeah, this is for me. Um, and then the next one is Jason Harris. Uh, he's been, you know, my mentor more or less since day one. I was, ended up being assigned to him as his intern and we've worked together off and on for 12 years. I was his intern. He left, joined Mechanism. He hired me a year later. I worked there for six years. I left, joined a startup, and then after that, started Epic Signal, and then sold Epic Signal to Mechanism, and 
I've been back there for three and a half years. So we've worked together. Um, yeah, for a long time now. <laughs> Sounds like it, man. Love it. Love, uh, that you're sharing you know, the people that have helped you along the way. Cause this is, uh, definitely community is key. And, Brennan, the folks going to TravelCon that are going to hear you be talking about influencer marketing in the travel space, they're making an investment in themselves by being there, by flying there, getting the ticket, hotel, spending three days. That's an investment in themselves. Brennan, what is the best investment you've made in yourself? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, honestly, probably the best one was um, studying abroad. I think that was a game changer for me. Um, I learned a lot both about myself as well as just kind of, you know, broadening my horizons culturally. But, um, yeah, I mean, kind of immersing yourself and constantly being pushed to be a little bit out of your comfort zone, but finding out that really at the end of the day, like, you know, smiling a lot and being open to new experiences can get you a long way. Um, uh, that was really helpful for me. And, and I also, you know, challenged myself to really learn a lot. Um, and, um, yeah, that was, that was a game changer for me personally. Yeah. Get out, see the world, get out of your comfort zone and great things will happen. Brendan Gann, really appreciate you joining us here on Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. One more time, epicsignal.com and then at Brendan Gann on Twitter and Instagram. Brendan, have a good one, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you create travel content, then you know how important it is to truly connect with your audience. And podcasting is simply a phenomenal way to create those intimate connections. Podcasting lets you use the power of your voice to share your message, change people's lives, all while expanding your influence and growing your business. My friend, podcasting is a huge part of my dream life, and I want to help make it part of yours too. So if you're ready to start using the power of your voice, take that first step by going to dramaticpodcasting.com. And there you're going to find everything you need to start your podcasting journey from how to create and launch your podcast to how to grow your audience and start making money. It's all there, my friend. It's at dramaticpodcasting.com.